Hello, hello, and welcome back. This is the second part of our two-part episode about Asian American history. If you haven't had the chance, listen to our first part covering 1920s to 1960s. The second part will be covering 1970s to today, and Loretta will be the primary storyteller. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm Claire and I'm Loretta, standing in for Mari, and together we are the hosts of the Yellow Ranger Fan Club, a monthly culture podcast about being female, Asian, and dorky. So mine is not nearly as extensive as yours. Um, mine is a lot more kind of just definitely like little tidbits. <laughs> oh shit! I went full history lesson on you. Yeah. No, no, no. Not- <laughs> You're good. I mean, it was very informative, and I enjoyed listening to it as much as parts of it made me very sad. So. Yeah, yeah. It's the early history of Asian America is really, really just you know all over the place, and you really see it just the Asian identity being used as a political tool against different nationalities, different ethnicities. Yeah, used th- as foreign policy. It's not great, yeah. and I think. I mean, the silver lining is that because they did have to go through so much, it gave like I feel like it really built towards the 1960s,、mm-hmm. like that kind of like going back and forth of like Asians positive, Asian is negative, Asian positive, Asian negative. It really helped set the groundwork for what happened in the 1960s. So, I mean, that's one sort of of a silver lining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, it's also just really interesting too because you're like you see the groundwork and you see like why are Asian women always being told like oh these expectations right like like have you ever been you know stopped by like an older white person and they're just like oh I remember the Vietnam War and I knew about those Asian women and then they have this like far off look and you're just like that's disgusting, sir. Actually, I have not had that happen to me before.、Oh, okay,、so、your turn. 1970s. Okay, so mine is definitely not as history historically heavy.、Um, so when I was kind of looking at like what topics I wanted to cover, I had thought about like I was thinking about like what did I really want to know as an Asian American? What were things that like I didn't learn about until I was in college, and I actually took a course specifically on Asian American studies, and it was stuff like that. I was like, "Oh, I never knew about like Asian American activists. I always thought that the activists were coming, you know, largely from the Black community or from allies in the White community." So that was always that was like that fascinated me. So when I thought about the 1970s, I was like, I could talk about Bruce Lee, and I could talk about kind of like. Sort of rise of like martial artists and the change in perspective in like Asian men,、um, mm-hmm. but I also feel like a lot of people know who Bruce Lee is and they know of his impact on Asian American culture.、Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was doing my research, I found an article that talked about a jazz band. <laughs> so、ah! I know it was a jazz band called Hiroshima. Um, and when we think of music, we think of music that as a way of sort of expressing ourselves.、Um, and Hiroshima is an American band that fused Japanese instruments with jazz music. And like you know, when you think of jazz musicians, I never would have thought of an Asian American band. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. When you had sent me like the clip of Hiroshima, which I think I need to figure out how to、It's、add one on. Wish. Yeah, there's、uh, one wish. 
Yeah. Uh, it actually reminds me a lot of like the lo-fi study mm-hmm. like music that we listen yeah. to today. Yeah. And so I thought that was like really cool. Yeah. And so this group first formed in I think it was 1974, um, and it was Dan Kuramoto, June Kuramoto, and um, shoot, I forgot their drummer's name. And I apologize to Hiroshima if you ever hear this. <laughs> um, but they had like, he was a, um, you know, I'm not going to go so much into this part because I feel like I'm just going to, like my brain is like fogging right now. But it was based in Los Angeles and um, they wanted to create a band or like music that represented the Asian American experience, right? Because there wasn't really anything before that and he got a lot of his inspiration from um, Earth, Wind and Fire which is a mm. band that kind of combined like jazz, R&B mm-hmm. um, Afro and Latino like rock sort of mm-hmm. right? And then there was another band called Santana that wove its kind of Latino roots into its music, right? So he wanted to do something similar like that with um, Asian American music Um and one of the things that they really were talking about was how, like, June Kuramoto, who is the koto player, she is really, like, the heart of the band because her playing style and everything was just so unique. And it's just, like, a thread that has carried the band through, like, 40 years. <laughs> like, they are still active today. They have uh, a okay, Facebook we totally, page. We should totally go see a Hiroshima concert if we could. Yeah. They, they they have a Facebook page. They, like, just released a single in, like, yes. 2020. Um, like, they were also the first Asian Americans to play at the Watts Towers Jazz Festival. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Also, yeah. can you tell our listener what a koto is? So, um, a koto is a Japanese instrument. It's like a stringed instrument. Um, and it kind of reminds me of the J- the Chinese um, gutsen, mm-hmm. sort of. Um, but it's just this beautiful instrument that I really like listening to. Um, like when I listen to music, I really like traditional Asian music instruments, kind of like wi- woven with like um, like piano, with like Western like re- Western style music. I really like that's my jam. <laughs> that's your jam. So this yeah. is like literally like all up in your jam here. Yes, it so is. So like I would say like a koto almost looks like a um, horizontal harp, basically. Yeah, uh, like it's kind way. of like a keyboard, like, but it. Yeah. Well, it's not a keyboard, but it, it looks like a horizontal harp, like like a board with strings over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I remember like um, going to like the Japanese festival, listening to you know um, people performing. Like I thought it was really cool that there was a jazz band that existed. And um, speaking of the single that I told you guys about, I found out on their Facebook that they had actually posted a letter that was said like, the single is called Someday Soon and it was like in response to kind of COVID-19 and like the anti-Asian sentiment and everything, but it was also like there all the proceeds were going towards first responders and healthcare workers and the way I'm describing them cannot do justice. <laughs> they still have their three core members and if I remember correctly, they've had like rotating members through the years, so they've had members come in and out and stuff. And like one really qu- cool quote that I found from Hiroshima, like it was in one of their Facebook posts that they talked about. It was Hiroshima has always been about social change through the lens of music. So we started with the premise of creating a voice for Asian Americans and people of color, and music was and is our pathway. I kind of think of music sort of like food <laughs> in the mm, sense that, mm. like, 
when you try different foods, when you try different music, you're ex- experiencing a different culture, and it's it can be a safe, a quote unquote safe way to experience the culture. I don't know if they're playing live right now. I try to go on their website to、um, view like their bio and everything because I didn't want to use just Wikipedia. Um, they were on the Pat Sajak show. Yeah, they've been like very prolific. They've been they've met a lot of like the big greats and jazz and everything. But I feel、yeah. like we still don't really hear about. I'd、them. never heard about them. I'm like so into it. <laughs> like I am here for it so much. Yeah, yeah. This is this is amazing. Thank you for like telling me about it. This is. This is beautiful, and I love jazz. And I, I know you love believe- jazz. <laughs> <laughs> so that's I was like, oh, this is such a good topic. So like when I found it for single, I love jazz so much, and I was just like, I have never heard of them, and I don't know how that has happened. And now, now my world is brighter because of it. Yeah, and they've done both instrumentals and vocal, like and like songs、mm-hmm. with vocals, and like,、uh, what was the one song I heard by them? The vocal for that song was just so. And it was beautiful. I、so、will definitely be checking them listeners, out, listeners. Dear listeners, please check out Hiroshima. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm looking forward to my YouTube、uh, recommendations changing because I have been like listening to their music. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't wait! I can't wait.、Um, so,、yeah. so that was in the 1970s. Yes. So 1980s. Whew, okay, so this is going to be a little hard for me to talk about because it's a very difficult topic,、um, and it is very reminiscent of the Atlanta killings. So, oh, trigger warning! Trigger yes, warning! Trigger warning! Vincent Chin. So I think Vincent Chin has recently kind of come into the spotlight again because of the many similarities in his case with. Um, the Atlanta kill- killings that happened.、Um, so, for those of you guys who have not heard of Vincent Chin, and that is totally fine because I never even heard of him until again I took an Asian American studies class. He was a Chinese American man who was killed because、um, the men who killed him perceived him to be Japanese American, which during that time. Um, there was a lot of racial tension in Detroit, Michigan, because of、um, the Japanese auto industry doing so well in the United States. And this, because of this, what was happening was that a lot of American auto industries, like companies and stuff, were laying off men. I don't know if it's just c- compete or something, but like there was a lot capitalism. Of yes, there was a, basically there was a lot of anger towards anyone who was Japanese American or was perceived to be Japanese American, aka like basically the Asian American community. <laughs> right, right. Like <laughs> this is it's kind of. This is a total sidebar, but like when when COVID started, I、yeah. think there were people being like, "Well, you know, if we spoke Vietnamese or if we spoke Thai in public, then they would know that we're not、no. Chinese." And it's like <laughs> majority of people cannot tell; they、yeah. can't even tell between the difference between Tai Taiwan and Thailand. What are the odds? <laughs> and like sidebar, also, like when you think about so I so okay so I'm studying or like rehearsing or practicing my Chinese. Mandarin Chinese to specify with one of my friends, and we were teaching her about tones, right?、Mm-hmm. And I was kind of showing her how, like, if you can kind of nail the tones correctly, you're we can like even if your pronunciation is not like like a native speaker, we can still understand what you're saying. 
Right. right. And then I kind of showed her, um, so I also just recently watched Wonder Woman because I just got the Wonder Woman 1984 DVD. But like, so I had to like rewatch Wonder Woman to kind of just remember things. And <laughs> the one scene where she has this Samir who is a, um, undercover kind of like language guy, right? He can speak uh-huh. multiple languages and they have this conversation in Mandarin Chinese. And I did not realize it was Mandarin Chinese because the, it was not done well and this is kind of one of those things where like they when like people want to showcase like oh how how skilled someone is at languages or like how like you know they always use like mandarin chinese and off like i would say like more than half of the time they can't even get the tones correct and you can't understand it so so like how can someone tell if you are speaking like korean or like mandarin chinese or like you know Vietnamese, like, how, how can they tell if, like, when you see them on screen and their pronunciation is very off? That's how I feel about the entire Firefly series. <laughs> Firefly! Don't even <laughs> do I was not going to go into Firefly because I was like, this is going to tangent us way too much. But, uh, it's too much of our mental thoughts in that. Oh my gosh. Um, but okay. yeah, any, but like, you know. <sighs> okay, taking that energy, going back to Vincent Chen. So. Okay, so basically what happened with Vincent Chin is that he went with three of his friends to a strip club to celebrate his upcoming wedding. So he was going to get married and everything, right? And while he was there, he kind of got... Kind of... No. He got into an altercation with two white men, so Ronald Evans and his stepson, Michael Nitz. And um, Chin, like, he managed to escape, right? Mm-hmm. And they had... You know, so he was like, okay, I'm done with this. I don't want to deal with this anymore. He leaves, Right. But these two men, they chase him down to a neighborhood McDonald's. Like, they spent like 30 minutes searching for this guy because they were so angry at him. How freaking vindictive do you have to be? Like, if I had 30 minutes of my time, I would be like, oh, shoot, I'll go get a McFlurry or something. But no, they freaking chased him. Like, so vindictive. Yeah. And and they, they, they killed him with a baseball bat. Now, he didn't die the day of. I think he died several days later. But, like, they hit him, like... I think it was like four times with a baseball bat and it was enough to crush his skull. Yeah. And um, they like were the actually... The day that he was supposed to get married, he was in a hospital dying. Yeah. And he was actually... They were actually stopped by a security guard. So the suspects were never like... It was never a question of who the suspects were, of who killed Vincent Chin. Right. They were was, caught red-handed. Yeah. It was always like the motives. And this actually kind of reminds me of... Um, I'm going to just... Warning. Um, Brock Turner, mm-hmm. in a way, it kind of reminds me of that too. Of like they like they knew he, what he had done, but it was always like the motive, and it was just anyway. Um, so he was so Vincent Chin, right? He was targeted because Evans and Nitz saw him as a representation of the bad things that happened to them. But despite all this, it was never seen as a hate crime in the eyes of the law, right? I think they actually changed it from like second degree murder. They changed it to like like manslaughter or like accidental manslaughter i don't remember the exact terms oh, they used. oh sure yeah i just waited 30 minutes to accidentally you know yes yes and no <laughs> so like you don't accidentally become racist yeah you so, are a racist yeah and the worst part of this is that the two men never saw a day in jail I think they were given like a three thousand dollar fine and like mm-hmm. some, and they had been, they were also tried on civil rights in like yeah. terms of civil rights because I think they they were saying that like they had violated Vincent Chin's civil rights by attacking him like that. Oh, oh yeah, just just attacking. Him. Yeah. No, no, murdered yeah. him. So okay, I would definitely recommend you read the information about this. I think one of the men, the stepson, was acquitted 
because he wasn't the one who had actually wielded the baseball bat or something. And then um, the father, the stepfather, Evans, he was charged, but then he was also later acquitted. On what? <laughs> I don't... Sorry you had a bad day? Like... <laughs> actually, okay, so here's the thing. So Captain Jay Baker, who was the preceding officer or something, but he was one of the, he was basically the person who did the news report or something for the Atlanta mm-hmm. killings, right? He was saying that like, oh, yesterday was a really bad day for, you know, the Atlanta killer. Um, and this is what he did, right? It was just like, oh, it was all this pressure that built up and everything. And the judge who sentenced the men in the very first trial, um, Evans and Itz, he basically said, and this is, I'm kind of compressing this. He kind of said this in a letter and he also kind of clarified later, but he was basically like, these aren't the kind of men that you send to jail. These men aren't going to go out and harm somebody else. Like, I just don't think that putting them in prison would do any good for them or for society. You don't make the punishment fit the crime you make the punishment fit the criminal oh uh, yeah so you know we're not going to talk about the black incarceration exactly during this time we're not going to talk about all the other asians in that community who are now like potential targets terrified because <laughs> terrified because now their murders can just be like well you know i was just only going to kill one i wasn't going to kill like more than one so it's okay yeah, you know, it was just, it was a bad day. So, like, you see how that trickles down and just... I see this a lot in, like, when they talk about, again, so the 1980s is very much, like, trickling. It's very recent. Yeah, we- and it's also you think about, like, sexual assault cases, right? There's like, oh, mm-hmm. he's not the kind of person who would do it again. Or, like, oh, it was, like, it was her fault. or It was a one-time deal. Yeah, and you kind of see that sort of vein going through these cases and it's just you don't get you don't have security (laughs) you don't feel that right you don't feel security and i think that everyone has a right to feel safe right yeah and and i think this also speaks a lot to like when we talk about the asian american community especially today with the covid and things like that and that that really is you know renewed you you see that too and this is the i guess this is a theme of today is Mm -hmm. (laughs) history goes around in cycles yeah and 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 racism (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean one of the things that did arise from uh the killing of Vincent chin was that it sort of inspired i don't know inspired isn't the right word because it's such a sad thing but it motivated galvanized yes motivated galvanized a lot of asian americans to become activists Mm -hmm. um so and then i believe that was also I may be wrong on this. I remember seeing it, that it was one of the first, like, this kind of changed the definition of manslaughter. Um, so it, it did have a big impact, like, federally, too. But, like, think about something like this. is like, we don't hear about those stories. And I think they are a very important part of our past and also our present because they affect our present. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, okay, so I think Gemma Chan is either doing a podcast or a documentary and there are stories, there are books today that talk about like Vincent Chin and like his impact and everything. So I would recommend that if you, like minus the trigger, <laughs> potential triggers, if you wanted to learn more information about him, there is definitely a lot of information that can be found. So, and Vincent Chin's cousin is also interviewed on a lot of these different media too. Yeah. So. That was that was one of the really sad things about the 19. 19- I thought about talking about other topics in the 1980s because there is a lot, but but that is one of the you know big events and really mm-hmm. you know um, shift in how 
cultural reckoning for Asian Americans grew, right? Yeah, so it, I, I think it's yeah. a really important event to talk about. It really illustrates how Asian Americans were and still can be seen as a perpetual foreigner mm -hmm. because they were seen as like, oh, you're stealing my job. Right. And that was actually something that he did yell, which I'm paraphrasing, of course, I'm not using the curse words that he used. But <clears throat> I think the fact that um, they didn't classify this as a hate crime. Um, it was When it was being judged, they didn't classify it as a hate crime. And when they were talking about, you know, the Atlanta killings, they were, they were kind of, it almost felt like they were kind of leaning towards not classifying it as a hate crime. And, I mean, we can delve so much into this about how, like, as Asian Americans, I feel like a lot of us much more eloquent people have said this before, but, like, a lot as Asian Americans, we are often taught to endure, mm -hmm. right? We are taught to endure for the future. Like, it may be challenging, it may be difficult right now, but what we're doing is for the future, right? I think of a lot of families, and this isn't just Asian American families, of course, um, but who will, like, you know, work long hours in hopes of providing for the future of their children. Yeah, like, you have the investments for the future, and so you're taught to, you know, survive. Mm -hmm. You're surviving, not necessarily thinking about how to fight back fight back right yeah. you're just like oh, well speak at up least for yourself. right you're 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 surviving not speaking up mm -hmm. anyways yeah i i think that's that's definitely a very sobering moment for modern asian america right mm -hmm. and yeah so yeah meditating bed breath i think it is very important to remember vincent chin mm -hmm. and to also remember the you know the folks before him who have also been uh, killed, especially in hate crimes, or just and whose their names are lost to history now. Right, right. Like there's probably other victims out there in which we will never. You mentioned the Watsonville riots, right? Like <sighs> right. Like the names of all those people have lost. Been lost. Yeah, yeah. The 22 people who were beaten near to death, mm -hmm. right? Lost. Yeah. Those who were you know chased out of Chinatowns. Mm -hmm. You know, in the early 20th century, late yeah. 19th century, like lost, right? So yeah. it's, it's kind of, it's very important for us to kind of remember like who came before us. And this isn't new. Yeah. He sort of symbolizes all of those people right. who came before him, which right. is a it's, sad, sad thing to think about when you think about all the people before him. It's a sad legacy, right? Yeah, it's a very sad. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Uh, we bring out the best in each other. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, like, you're just... It's hard to reconcile all of this. And, and you know, what's re really interesting is that, you know, my father was in New York in 1987-ish, I mm -hmm. think. Recently, he was just like, did you know about this Vincent Chin thing? Did you learn about this oh. in school? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he was like, huh. Anyways, it sucked. And I was like, in the best brevity of my father's words, and he was just like, well, we should have learned about this. You should have learned about this. You definitely should have learned about this. And I'm like, well, we didn't. And he was <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Are you going to look this up and put this in your podcast? And we're, and I was like, Loretta's going to talk about it. And he was like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Claire's dad. You're awesome. I miss seeing you all. I miss seeing your family. <laughs> I miss seeing your family too. So. Yeah. Yeah, but um, that was that was basically it. Sobering moment. Are you feeling ready to move on to the 90s? Yes. Okay. Okay. So the 1990s. I kind of hit upon several topics <laughs> I was talking about. 
I was like, Sailor Moon came out at this time. Woohoo. And then I was like, well, nah, I don't really want to talk about Sailor Moon. Just mainly because I didn't know where to start. Um, and Globalization? <laughs> and then I also thought about maybe doing, like, you know, Jet Li, who was my childhood crush in, like, his kung fu movies. I was like, okay, what else came in the 1990s? There is, of course, you know, the Yellow Ranger, Trini. Woohoo! <laughs> um, I would say that, just as note, Loretta did have a huge crush on Jet Li. I did! We, we watched... I think the two of us watched a lot of his movies together. I started like I started learning wushu because like I was like <laughs> fascinated. I was like obsessed with the movies at the time because like it was a person who was always trying to do the right thing and he looked cool while he was doing it. <laughs> so this kind of segues into Mulan. So I want to talk about Disney's Mulan. <laughs> And not the live action that just came out because, um, yes, thanks. Who um, is that girl? I see. Uh, there's a one YouTuber, I forgot her name. She's also an author who, she does a beautiful breakdown of why the live action Mulan does not work. And I would recommend watching hers instead of me attempting to, like, break it down the way she has. She actually has, like, the cultural knowledge that I am missing. So the way she breaks it down is just beautifully done. Have you seen that one? I feel like I have because I watched a lot of it. If we're talking about the same one, <laughs> yes. yeah, then yes. Yes. Uh, oh um, my gosh, it was glorious. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. but okay, so I want to talk about Mulan. So Mulan was the first, you know, princess, Disney princess that came from the Asian dysphoria. And um, she came out in 1998. So like, what do you remember about Mulan coming out? Well, I remember that as a community, we were all freaking obsessed with it we went bonkers we went freaking bonkers all of us were mulan for halloween yes we we bought the mulan dolls we bought like and this is like you know in our community like buying these disney dolls and disney products is seemed as extravagant right Mm -hmm. we don't do that and yet our parents bought it for us because that was how much we would not shut up about it that's how excited they were about it too i think yes and that was what they were very very excited about it too and i just remember my mom going like okay you know that mulan is actually based on a chinese tale Mm -hmm. you know kind of like some to Cinderella and so she went with me to go through like you know the actual poems and things like that which is yes I realized a very privileged upbringing and thank you so much mom for everything and (laughs) (laughs) and so you know she talked to me about this and then when like the Mulan TV shows came out we were watching all of that together the Mulan TV shows I remember going to the theater because okay so my mom never took us to the movie theater. It was just not something we did. We watched movies at home. Like, we would, mm-hmm. you know, buy the, we would, might buy the VHS, we might, like, borrow from the library. Um, but we never went to the movie theater. And when Mulan came out, my mom took us to the movie theater. And, like, we tried to watch it, but again, my mom never, you know, I don't think she's been to a movie theater too often before. She, like, it was sold out. Mm. <laughs> so, like, but we were also excited to, like, you know, movie, yay, 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 that she ended up taking us to watch Ever After. Which is also a great movie, Which is, by the This way. was an amazing movie. I love Ever After. But I just yeah. remember being really disappointed that I didn't get to watch Mulan. And I don't mm. remember when I actually did watch Mulan as a kid. Um, it, it's just been so long, everything. And here's the thing about Mulan. So, Mulan the cartoon version. I enjoy it so much because it has never really been about being authentic. 
to Mm -mm. Chinese culture. Right. There's a freaking talking dragon. Yes. Like, I think at that point you suspend all disbelief at this (laughs) point. Right. Um, Like, it never claimed to be authentic. It was, like, the songs are great and everything. Like, I love the songs. Like, I will still break out into, like, let's get down to business. (laughs) Yes. Right? (laughs) I had to find the urge to, like, sing that. Uh, I mean, I clearly didn't, so here we go. <laughs> yeah, but like, it, it, I felt like it was definitely more Asian-American than Asian because of its mm-hmm. references, the jokes that it made, um, and just like, also like, Eddie Murphy is definitely not Asian-American. No. But, no, but it was amazing. <laughs> it right, was it, it felt like, like basically Americanized Chinese food packaged yes. in a movie, right? Yes. Yeah. It was so unabashedly a mishmash, you know, previous interpretations of Asian community in which it was exotic or seen mm-hmm. as other. This was just like, well, here is this world that Wait, has this character <laughs> and they are also going to be fully realized characters and the exotic nature isn't like isn't pointed out as being scary or different. It just is. It, and that's yeah. what I think made it so beautiful for Asian American kids growing up. And it was also really a story of how she came into her own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right and and no, it's not just that. But like, if she was fighting against societal expectations, right? Which I think that yeah. a lot of us we do go through that. It's like, oh, we're expected to like become a doctor. We're expected to become like a lawyer. She went like, I'm gonna do this completely other you know path and rely on the strengths that people actually view as like my flaws, right? Because mm-hmm, pe- mm-hmm. like in the movie, she's seen as like, oh, she's too non-feminine or like she's unable to memorize the yes she can't memorize the things which i I, okay (laughs) as you can tell i cannot do that like i cannot memorize (laughs) and say things so like i could really identify so like you know she was a really important character and i think that's why i'm so like furious about the 2020 mulan kind of butchering her story i still haven't i still haven't watched it i could not bring myself to it that's like not even counting like the other like reasons why we shouldn't be watching it you know um sure but you know that's a whole other conversation but yeah so you know 1990s move on <laughs> yeah. yeah also like i love the inside joke of like if you spoke mandarin chinese or you understood ma- mandarin chinese her name is ping yes um, yeah. <laughs> with combined with her last name hua which is like flower her name was basically hua ping which is a face <laughs> Those little, little joys, right? So 90s Mulan. It was near the tail end of 90s. But I think part of it also, of the reason why they chose Mulan is I wonder if they were trying to kind of uh, follow the coattails. I don't know if I'm using the term correctly. Of, you know, just the, how popular kung fu movies were. Because mm-hmm. you know? it is, it does have kung fu in it. Um, so, yeah. I think part of the reason why Mulan came out when it came out was also a response to the rising Asian American population yes. in the U.S. at the time, yeah, right? I think so. And yeah, I, I think that's a huge part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's a demographic that can, because capitalism is the driving backbone of everything, come up. And I think they <laughs> right? were also trying to almost appeal to the. Um, global audience global chinese audience yeah which yeah. if i remember correctly though mulan the disney one didn't do very well in china no, <laughs> so i no, feel like it didn't yeah so i feel like the t- live action they try to appeal to 
to the library to to like the global Chinese population, and but it's failed it's, on both fronts. Yes, it has such a Western <laughs> lens to it that. Okay, I'm 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 diverging again. Okay, <laughs> bring it close. Okay, so all right, so two thousands. But I was thinking about it, and I was like, "Who are big influences?" And I was like, oh, "Wang Fu Productions." <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we would be totally remiss if we did not talk about Wang Fu Productions for the two thousands.、Mm-hmm. Um, so Wang Fu Productions started in, I think it was two thousand three. It actually started earlier because I think Philip Wang had started it at his high school, unofficially.、Um, but he met. I feel weird telling their story. But like they formed at UC or University of California San Diego as an independent digital production company, and the founding members were Philip Wang, Wesley Chan, and Ted Fu.、Mm-hmm. Um, and when YouTube came out, I don't remember the exact year that YouTube came out, but they were basically like one of the few Asian American YouTubers. Are you looking up, Claire? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> YouTube they, founded in two thousand five. Okay, two thousand five. So they started in two thousand four. Sorry, two thousand three or two thousand four around that time. And YouTube came out two thousand five. So it was like the perfect opportunity for them to upload their videos, get a wider audience. And one thing I really liked that about what they did is that like they highlighted and lifted up so many Asian American YouTubers and really inspired a generation of like filmmakers, right? Because there's um. Kev Jumba, yeah, which I like listening to his stuff too. There's、uh, Ryan Nigia,、um, mm-hmm. and like a bunch of other ones who I, I was gonna say Michelle Pham. Yes, Michelle Pham.、Um, there was also oh, what's her name? She was in a lot of the、um, Aquafina got her start on YouTube too. Basically, there's a lot of like actors today who you may see、uh, in mainstream media who they got their start on YouTube. They did work with.、Um, Uh, Wang Fu Productions. I think Randall Park、mm-hmm. has Randall Park was in、um, Everything Before Us, which is their was their first feature film. That one came out in like the 2010s. I forget exactly what year. But like there were there were a lot of Asian American actors actresses who were highlighted in Wang Fu Productions, oftentimes because it was really hard for them to get movie roles. Right, and we talk about like Asian American representation, but like you know, moving to two thousands in the digital age, that's when you really see、mm-hmm. a huge explosion of Asian identity on on screen. And when we talk about representation, you know, a lot of times like we we technically were like you know spend half of our lives in like the film and TV world, and then the other in the digital world, right?、Mm-hmm. And so. I talk to people who are younger than us, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, representation, YouTube." And I'm just like, "Oh right, that was not just like a site you went to for you. Like,、yeah. for me, it was like a site, and I didn't see that in the TV screens. But you know, as we slowly transition into more of the computer as a form of entertainment,、mm-hmm. you do see like YouTube, Asian American media, very much being huge, right? And like、place、we talked to, to, right? It was the place to go if you wanted to see Asian representation. I talked to Natalie Chung of Yellow Bee Pod from the UK,、mm-hmm. and when I talked to her about that, she's like, "Oh yeah, I consumed a lot of Asian American media." And when I asked her what they were, she was like, "Oh, YouTube." But I think that what they have done is amazing because their stories are never only about the Asian American experience. I think they really highlight the human experience,、mm-hmm. right? So they cover topics like loss, love. I don't remember the name of the sketch, but it was.、Um, These two people who their luggage got swapped, and it was like a whole mini series, and you had the opportunity to kind of decide what did the characters do. And I 
Love that、nice. one. That was good. And then there was another one that they did that was like dance, where there was a girl who was like、right. in a dance team and stuff, and she had a crush on、um, the character that Philip Wang was playing. And、mm-hmm. it kind of showed how like they were he like you know toxic behavior towards like expectations of like oh I'm nice to this girl so she has to you know she has to respond even though you know being nice to someone doesn't automatically mean that they have to you know be in a romantic relationship with you so I really、mm-hmm. like that they cover these topics but not just in an Asian American experience but like they bring in. People of color, people of like many experiences, and they just tell all these like wonderful stories. Yeah,、um, yeah, like Wang Fu Productions.、Um, I really enjoyed watching their shorts, and I think that I wish them the best of their success. And I think it's really cool that like、um, all that they have、uh, contributed to the Asian American community, and also just you know to the filmmaker community in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.、So. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think also like we're t- if we're talking about two thousands, like not to turn this into like a really deep、mm-hmm. dark space is also the anti Asian sentiments that still existed during this time, right? Like you see all this, you know, growth and excitement of Asian American community on YouTube, but a lot of that, like at least from our experience, is centered around East Asian,、mm-hmm. right? And at the time, you know, in early two thousand nine eleven happened,、mm-hmm. right? And that. Was then dictated how our the U.S. relationship with the Middle East and how we see South Asians irreparably changed、mm-hmm. right from that moment. Like you would hear stories of Sikh men being attacked for wearing a、mm-hmm. turban, right? And it's just then a continued othering, right, of、mm-hmm. Asian Americans at the same time as East Asians were making all of these gains in popular media, right, and and. And a lot of times, like it makes me wonder, is this you know when you see Asian Amer like East Asians and the further delineation of what the Asian American community、mm-hmm. would be, right? Like I think that's one thing that I never and I'm you know we're still learning. <laughs> it's it's very it's relatively recent history, even though I'm sure it'll be in the textbooks already. And like <laughs> my niece and nephews are just like, oh yeah, back in the old days, and you're just like, no. <laughs> um, right, right, but like, you know, the aftermath of nine eleven, you're seeing huge parts of like the USA Patriot Acts,、mm-hmm. and you know these special registration programs that were targeting disproportionately South Asian, Arabic, and Muslim communities.、Mm-hmm. Um, like, I just remember the really sad joke from TSA. I mean, first of all, TSA. Was then established, and prior to 9/11, nobody had to take off their shoes, right?、Mm-hmm. My my Muslim colleagues, when we went on business trip, would always be like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna have to budget some extra time for me," <laughs> you know.、Oh, and、sad. we were working for one of the clients that had pretty secure measures. He told me that he literally would have to be pulled aside, like every time, even though they just saw him go in.、Oh. Like I don't want to just like. Gloss over the fact that anti-Asian sentiment didn't exist in the 2000s with the rise of Asian YouTube. It's、mm-hmm. that the focus on like here's all the representation was on East Asians. At the same time, there were、um, atrocities committed and hate crimes committed against the South Asian communities. Yeah, definitely. History repeats itself continually, right? And so, <sighs> you know, when in the 1940s the 
Japanese Americans were sent into internment camp, that was a real credible fear of many Muslim community, mm-hmm. those in the Muslim communities, that that was going to happen to them. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So I just wanted to put that out there, you know, before we move to the 2010s. And yeah. And I mean, we do still have detention camps today. So right. we can't forget about that either. Um, so 2010s, um, I'm going to just kind of briefly skim over this because I am not a basketball fan. I never really watch basketball stuff, but I think it's kind of interesting to see how this exploded. So if you couldn't figure out what I was talking about already, I'm talking about Lynn's Jeremy sanity. Lin. Yes, Jeremy what? Lynn. <laughs> so Jeremy Lynn ex- was a bas- it was, is a basketball it player. It's who, not history yet. I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. It's a basketball player who exploded into popularity in 2012. And I just remember so many Asian parents just going bonkers over oh my Jeremy Lin because he was also like succeeding in basketball and it was like not traditional scene traditionally he seen. was in Harvard yeah he could have gone to Stanford but they didn't recruit him oh no and he was just like Shame. he lived in that neighborhood and I was like why but like and and he went to like a like a neighborhood church <laughs> like for us he was, also, he was also he was also on Wong Fu Productions too <sighs> he's, he's been on Wong Fu Productions so yeah it's kind of cool to see like who's been a wall for productions anyway but like like if you were asian american right you played sports like badminton or you were a fan of stuff like volleyball basketball was not your thing <laughs> i didn't see I a lot they, i th- i think asians really liked basketball i mean there was yes. yao ming yeah but i mean like you didn't really see them in professional basketball like, it was something you did in high school, or, like... But I don't... Yao Ming? Yeah, but, like, how many other Asian-American basketball players can you think of? Yao Ming and Jeremy Lin. <laughs> yeah, so I would I would definitely say that basketball is not traditionally seen as an Asian-American sport. Or has a lot of Asian-American players. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, in other countries, there were, but... You know, it wasn't something that was commonly seen. So, like, you know, he was a starter or something for New York Knicks, um, and he just shot to fame after that. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the really sad things about him was that he did actually experience a lot of racism towards, like, during his time as like, a basketball player. And I believe still now, too. Like, um, he, like, he would go to, like, you know, games and people wouldn't think he was a player he had to convince them like he would go travel with his team like someone thought he was a trainer mm-hmm. <laughs> like he once went to a game and they were saying oh volleyball is not tonight right mm-hmm. so you can kind of see how these stereotypes about asian americans were also playing into his experience and he is also a very eloquent speaker yeah so I would recommend like reading what he actually he actually has to say about it instead of listen to me attempt to. <laughs> He's very eloquent and he is well spoken and mm-hmm. I can't say enough good things about him. Yeah, you know. Um, but I just thought it was really cool that like during that time, like Lin's sanity just exploded, <laughs> and like I can just see so many you know Asian American youth who started basketball because they were inspired by him. Right. You know? Right. Um, yeah, kind of like how a lot of you know early two ni- thousands we were inspired by ice skating. Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah. Um, or like filmmakers who were inspired by Wong Fu Productions, 
right?、Mm-hmm. And so all this just illustrates like how important representation is because if you're only shown a few stories, then those are the only stories that you think you can aspire to. Like you don't think you can be other stories, or like you can, you don't think you can do other things in life because it's never、mm-hmm. what's expected, right?、Um, so that kind of segues to the 2020s, <laughs> which you know we're in our second year of.、Um, but I wanted to talk about model minority. <laughs> Because Jeremy Lin is like literally the poster boy for it. Yeah,、um, <laughs> and also just because like I think when we think about like the、um, like Black Lives Matter and like the anti Asian sentiment,、mm-hmm. model minority plays a huge part into that too, right? Like so、mm-hmm. we kind of mentioned it previously.、Um, model minority started as back as early as the end of World War Two, right? Um,、mm-hmm. But what I wanted to do was kind of talk about it in the context of how it's perceived and enacted today.、Um, And this is kind of more.、Um, I feel like there are people who have covered this a lot better than I'm about to cover it. So if you have never kind of read anything about model minority, definitely recommend um, um, doing some research on it. But it was basically a tool to weaponize against Black Americans, right? Because、mm-hmm. after World War II, like, right, we kind of talked about it. But like the Japanese Americans, they had gone through internment camps, they lost everything, but they were still able to succeed. So if they could do it, then why couldn't the Black community? There must be something inherently wrong with them. Yeah, no. So <laughs> this is wrong in like multiple ways, multiple ways. And I think it's really important to remember that, like. A large part of the reason why the Asian American community was able to succeed was because there was an immigration act that passed that specifically targeted skilled professionals like doctors, lawyers, more.、Mm-hmm. So people who are already at like a point of privilege、um, that their、um, other like peers may not have been at, right? Right. Or、well, not peers, but other people in the community. Um, so, like other racial groups, yes,、uh, racial minorities. Yes, the they already have an advantage over immigrants who are coming to the United States too,、mm-hmm. often due to you know like traumatic events in their lives. Refugees,、right? yes, refugees. And when we think of model minority, we often think of again East Asians, right?、Mm-hmm. We forget that we have Southeast Asians,、uh, we have、um, like South Asians, yeah, South Asians, and like you know. A whole whole other communities, but like when we think about model minority, it's it's like sure it's it's quote unquote helpful to have good stereotypes of Asian Americans, but it's also very harmful because when you don't meet those expectations, repercussions yes, exist, right? Repercussions and exist, and there's these expectations, and it alienates people, right?、Mm-hmm. And it's you know it's used as a racial wedge. I've said this before, but.、Yeah. You know, it, it drives into like respectability politics. It goes into like affirmative action.、Mm-hmm. It goes into like all sorts of. It's very. It, it's quite insidious, right?、Mm-hmm. It's. It almost feels like you're catching more flies with honey than、yeah. vinegar kind of situation. So it it puts Asian Americans, especially East Asians, in this awkward spot of how of fighting both the. The internal battles, recognizing like, no, this is not okay. Like,、yeah. just because you're seen as like a model minority doesn't actually protect you from the actual racism of the larger society, which we're seeing today.、Mm-hmm. You know, as a response to COVID, and and I think this really drives into the conditional protection or the conditional citizenship yeah, nature of Asian American. Yes, and also if decisions are made about. 
sort of like funding or anything that goes like towards um, Asian Americans, it completely ignores the fact that there's a whole other end that doesn't have those um, privileges, that doesn't that has a completely different experience than you know people whose families have been doctors, lawyers, engineers, and everything. That's like a completely different experience, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. I don't know. I feel like that's something that when we talk about stereotypes, people are always thinking, "Oh, Asian Americans have good stereotypes." Therefore, it's not racist, <laughs> right? Or like they they shouldn't be included in conversations with about people of color, right? You see that even in school board conversations, like, well, I don't see Asians as like people of colors in these aggregate data sets, and you're just like, well, what you're forgetting is that Asian American, we are not a monolith. Right, is not a monolith and is one of the most diverse communities within the U.S., right? Asian American words represent everyone from low income in like L.A. to refugees to, you know, high earners in the tech industries to those who's been in here since forever in the Mississippi Delta. Like Mm -hmm. the Asian American word, like, as I said, is a political identity Mm -hmm. and there are nuances within it that gets lost in favor of this one generic model minority terms. Yeah. And I can definitely say that I am not speaking of model minority with a nuance that it really does deserve. I don't know, it's hard for me to really verbalize how I feel about model minority mm-hmm. and like really how it affects the Asian American community. Um, I'm not very good with sort of talking about stuff like this just because it is it is such a sensitive topic and I often feel like I'm not going to be able to, you know, talk about it the way that I actually really want to talk about it. So. <laughs> Um, I feel like what I want to say isn't coming across clearly. (laughs) But okay, here's something that I did want to talk about is like, how do we as Asian Americans perceive our our own stereotypes as being part of the quote unquote model minority, right? Like how many times have you joked with friends that you are not Asian enough because you're bad at math, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. like, let's think about how harmful that is. Like your how good or bad you are at math shouldn't define your cultural identity right it shouldn't it should not ignore like the cultural heritage that you have um and like you know your family roots right right even if it's said as a joke but it's something that i feel like a lot of asian americans do say right Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you can come up with other examples like we've said it ourselves yeah (laughs) like right like when i said i wasn't good with numbers (laughs) Like, you know, I'm bad at taking tests, you know, oh my gosh, I'm such a bad Asian, right? Like, you say these things off the cuff, but, you know, a lot of it is internalized. It's a, yeah, it's a self-deprecating joke. But we need to decolonize the way that we think and perceive of ourselves and our own roles, especially in, in a privileged class. Yes, definitely. From our backgrounds and our educational backgrounds, right? And And we need to really think about that, too. Like, how do we make sure that we are also amplifying the voices of Asian America and listening to activists mm-hmm. who, you know, are way more nuanced than the two of us yeah. are? Like, I feel like right? I, I feel like I definitely come from a place of privilege. My my parents w- were, you know, upper middle class. They both came here because they came to study college. Uh, they actually did grad school here. Um, they mm-hmm. ended up going into, you know, the tech industry. So, like, it's very it doesn't feel right for me to talk about the experiences of of other Asian Americans who haven't come from the same sort of privilege that I have had. Right. 
Um, and <laughs> yeah, and, and of course I marry you in exactly the same way, considering we grow up two blocks away from each other. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, you know, and I say a lot of it is self examination. And, and I think this is why I was so excited to learn kind of about the shared history, right? And, and so important for us to do that because you recognize that there's so much more learning to do and so much more work to do. And I don't think we can fully encapsulate that in what we're trying to do today. Yeah. But other than acknowledging the fact that there's still more work to do. And I think one of the few good things that came out of COVID besides spending all the time with our pets, right, is that you you are forced to reckon with these uncomfortable truths mm-hmm. that we have kind of let lie stagnant for so long. Yeah. Of course, there were activists and, you know, people working in the community that's been crying this out forever. But I feel like as a larger community and like talking to the mainstream media, these facts were not ever confronted as head-on as they have been recently. Yeah, definitely. Um, right, so it's like, it was kind of like the secret things, like the secret menu, like <laughs> the secret menu racism that you kind of knew about, and then oh like gosh. nobody would talk about it, and you had to be in the in-crowd to like really have a nuanced conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's not until recently that it's really come to the forefront of our collective community. And I, and I think... People are tired. People have been tired. And this is how how we're processing it. And I think to an extent, I mean, not to an extent, we, you and I, and Yellow Ranger Fan Club, like this podcast, is part of our effort to understand and contextualize all of this, right? Yeah. And this is only, this is also from, like, I never want to fall into the trap of just, you know, one story. right? Right. There's I mean, so many stories. And you're a librarian. Your job is literally to find stories. And stories <laughs> Which, speaking and of, share stories. there have been so many amazing Asian American authors who have come out and like written stories. And like, it's such a cool thing to see. So, I'm reading right now um, a fa love story by Lon Le. I might be pronouncing your name. I'm so sorry. Um, but it's just this really cute story about two kids from rival pho restaurants who sort of, you know, fall in love. <laughs> That's cute. I know. Yeah. So it's like really cool. You know, in the 2020s, like, I think we're at a new new forefront of what Asian American identity is, mm-hmm. right? And I think there's a lot, there needs to be a lot more intersectionality. There needs a lot more cross-cultural allyship. And I think one day we'll get there. And I hope we'll do our own parts into it. I also really hope that we, as a country, sort of acknowledged that there are very big differences between Asian American communities and Pacific Islander communities. Like, they go through very different experiences. Right, yeah. And with that, we leave you with a lot of hope (laughs) and hopefully education and things to think about because, yeah, thank you for coming to our (laughs) two-parter. Thank you for listening to what we have to say. Thank you for coming to this meeting. Please follow us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter as YRFC Podcast and Instagram as Yellow Ranger Fan Club. Email us your thoughts and feelings at yellowrangerfanclub at gmail.com. Subscribe and rate us so you can keep up to date. We'll let you know about new episodes before we tell our moms. Um, Thanks and peace out. 
keep on learning. 